you know, no matter how long you've been around, it's kind of weird that life before the internet has become hard to imagine. It's kind of like life before breathable underwear. Imagine all those unfortunate people living in an era without Fruit of the Looms breathable micro-mesh boxer briefs. Their underwear didn't have tiny holes allowing airflow to keep them cool. It's hard to imagine. But fortunately, thanks to Fruit of the Loom, underwear has come a long way since the 20th century. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work, a store to sell your products and services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to make your next move into a reality. They have beautiful templates, custom features, and an intuitive process of clicking, dragging, and making a website happen. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code CRACKED to get 10% off your first purchase. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also not taking the internet for granted this week. That's right. I am taking a moment to be glad I have the internet in my life. The reason for that is Cracked editor Christy Harrison, your friend and mine. If you follow this show and or our website, she's great. And Christy reached out to me with a thought experiment that's my new favorite thing, and I thought, let's make a whole episode out of it. Uh, we'll lay out the exact parameters of what it is in the episode, but here's the short version. Knowing what you know now, how would you adjust to a pre-internet world? I'm going to say that one more time uh, in case you were honking or distracted or something. Knowing what you know now, how would you adjust to a pre-internet world? That's a cool question, right? Like, if you lived in a world without the internet, knowing everything you've learned from a life of surfing online, how would you live in a world where the verb surfing only means the outdoor activity from Point Break? Also, by outdoor activity, I didn't mean bank robbery. I mean, you know, like balancing on a wave, like a, like a wet wave, not audio. You, you get it. I, I, I'll let this go. And that is a fun thought experiment, I think, for anybody. What would you do in a pre-internet world? I think it's a particularly fun one for us cracked staff members, because the internet is our medium. We are nothing without it. A lot of us probably never would have even met each other without the invention of the internet, which is a kind of shocking thing to me as I say it. And I want this episode to be more than a thought experiment. I want it to also be kind of an inside look at our operation. Uh, we hear from people quite a bit that they, if they're fans of the site, they love some kind of extra behind-the-scenes look at it. This one, in addition to being all about that sweet, sweet pre-internet life thought experiment, I also want to kind of show you something behind the curtain of what we do. So me and Christy are going to talk about internetless life, and then we are going to be joined by Abe Epperson, Tom Ryman, Anne Smiley, Sandra Sorensen, and Brett Rader. All of them on staff here at Cracked, all of them Hall of Fame people, and, as you'll hear, they'd all be in remarkably different boats if the internet tide lifting our boats receded from the shore. Okay, I know that's another weird beach metaphor. I, I think I have point break on my brain. I have point brain. I'm very sorry, but that's where I'm at, and I think it's going to be a fun show. Speaking of movies, like Point Break, I hope you've checked out our new podcast, Cracked Movie Club. They are kicking things off with an entire July of Spielberg movies, tackling everything from behind-the-scenes revelations about movies, to wild fan theories, to funny-ass jokes, everything you love about Cracked, on movies, in a whole show. Search Cracked Movie Club wherever you're listening to podcasts, and you'll find two episodes right there. And we're feeling really glad about the reaction it's gotten so far from people who've heard it and reached out to us. It's really, really nice. 
and Cracked Movie Club premiered at the top of the Apple Podcast charts for TV and film. It was number one on day one, which only could have happened because a bunch of you folks listened to it and told friends about it and reviewed it and, and made it a thing. It really only could have happened that way. It's a specific algorithm. We can't thank you enough, and we're excited to bring you more movie magic every week. So thank you for that. And, you know, back to this show, though. It's all about me and our guests and the topic and you. I'm excited to take you on a trip to an internetless life. So sit back or continue to sit on public transportation. And please do that politely, okay? No, no manspreading, fellas. We've had enough of it. If you don't know what manspreading is, Google it. It's, it's public transit guys, like, put their knees out because of their... You know what? Enough digressions. Here's my conversation with Christy Harrison and more crack staffers from there on a life without internet. I'll catch you again at the end and talk to you then. I am joined on the phone by cracked editor, columnist, and so many other things, Christy Harrison. Hi, Christy. Yay! Hi! Hey. And uh, I think this is a very fun concept that you brought up for doing an episode in general because it's so many things of actual life and figuring out one's place in the world and everything. And then also, it's like a time travel adventure. It's very exciting. I talked about it a bit in the intro, but run people through kind of the premise for today's show. Um, we were watching, I was watching uh, that uh, Stephen King show, 11, I guess, 1123, 16, I don't even know. One of those shows where the guy, the James Franco guy goes back in time and, and that was inspiring me to think about what I would do if I was suddenly without the internet. And then I thought it'd be a fun just conversation to have. Like if we all lost the internet at once, what would we do? What would happen next? The show's eleven twenty two sixty three, right? It's because it's a it's a Kennedy yes. thing. Like he has to stop the assassination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. It's actually a kind of a, a weird show. Yeah, he he's he he can't take back his technology, and it's a time traveling kind of thing. But uh, it made me think of how I would try to adjust, and I don't think it's gonna be. It would be pretty. I think I, it would be a really <laughs> tough, tough, tough adjustment for me. But what I was saying in the email is that. I'm 40, I'm almost 41. I've had half my life without the internet, half with. At the time I sent the email, I was thinking, oh, I'd be fine because I've spent half my life without the internet. I'd probably just revert back to, you know, I'd be, I'd just adjust really quickly. But now that I've been thinking about it, I don't think that's true. I think that I'd actually have a harder time than younger people because I'm already older and my brain has adjusted and I'm less malleable <laughs> and I don't think it would go well for me. Oh no, I didn't I didn't realize you had a, a dark night of the soul like that. Oh man. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> we should set the parameters of the conversation for like whoever's calling in later. What are the circumstances where we've lost our internet? We should come up with something. Bouncing off of that show's general premise, I think the most interesting thing is almost more like if any of us had to time travel suddenly, what would we do living in the pre-internet past, which also isn't that long ago. Like you said, like you and right. a lot of other people in the world lived without internet. It's a pretty recent thing. I was Googling, uh, Pew Research has a lot of studies of just overall internet use in the United States, and we didn't get up to a majority of adults using the internet until the year 2000. So it's it's a pretty recent phenomenon that that any of us are having this in our daily life all the time. I think the general idea is if you're suddenly in the past, 
what would you do with your life career-wise, just interpersonally, just living your day-to-day? And also, I think we can give people uh, a little room to, like, retrain or, or figure things out. I always I think of that Star Trek episode, City on the Edge of Forever, where Kirk and Spock are suddenly just in an alley in the past and have to find food and shelter right away. <laughs> I think that's a little too intense. I think we can give people, you know, a little a little leeway to figure out what they're doing and not have to suddenly find a bed. You know? One good pop culture uh, reference, probably better than 112263, is Handmaid Tale, because they are in the present and everything was snatched away from them. They lose their phones and they lose access. I think the internet doesn't even exist anymore. And uh, they don't even have access to maps or they have no idea where they are. The signs have changed. Everything's completely different. And not, we don't need to talk about that extreme of a scenario and ask everyone to, you know, if they would be a handmaid in the new handmaid universe. But <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that was going to be my go-to answer. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'd be a handmaid. No, I'm just kidding. When we were emailing before, you mentioned that you would probably go into teaching or go into being a librarian if we suddenly didn't have the internet. Because you and I, you and I, day to day, we we mine gold in the hills of the internet, and that's our profession. Exactly. Uh, and now that you've also had kind of darker thoughts about this whole thing, do you still think you would do that kind of educational work? Okay, I've been thinking about this a lot. So let's say that Cracked goes to a print publication. Let's let's take that first. Let's say that, that Cracked continues to exist, but now not on the internet. I think what I would do is I would <laughs> I would try to build up our, our our own little library, our little stores of information so that we would have material to work with. And I know how I would do it because I used to do it in high school. When I was in high school, I used to do like speech stuff. And there was this one competition where you would go into a room, you'd get a topic and you'd have 30 minutes to write a speech on it and to prepare for that. I would like spend the summer cutting out um, news stories like from actual newspapers and and magazines and filing them in my actual physical filing system. Um, so, you know, like if there was a whitewater story, you would go in whitewater or whatever. Uh, I think I would just do that for Cracked because I've got a, a simple list somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so I would get subscriptions to like, or I, or I would actually go to the library and rebuild their card catalog system because nobody's used card catalogs in 10 years or so. Like they all are on the internet. You just search for stuff there. So I physically go back. I think... I think my brain is wired to do this work, and I just have to find a way to do it at this point. Because I remember that phenomenon of the internet suddenly being how we could get all that information, and it was like uh, the card catalog was a piece of furniture. It was a giant wooden series of of little shelves where you could pull out a billion tiny index cards with uh, like often typewritten information about you don't pull them out you leave them in but you write down the numbers so that they don't get out of order yeah right right it would also it had a little stack of index cards on top of it and also a little thingy of golf pencils and then you would little shorty very, pencils <laughs> very carefully without disturbing the integrity of the catalog anyway i i this is such a terrifying topic because i feel like i'm talking about being an ancient person and this happened like I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, tops maybe? It, it, right. wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. I almost missed that era when information itself was 
something that was very exciting to have access to a physical copy of. I do miss that. My children don't understand the how those worked, but I think they'd adjust really quickly. It was also a pain. It was also such a pain to 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 physically pick up a book, go to the index, and then find the passage that is relevant to you, or you know, like or find the page number, or whatever. And that process, I imagine, was intense to put together. I think I would tackle it. I just think that I, I've got another forty years left. I would just dedicate my life to putting together one good card catalog and maybe one row, one <laughs> one, one little drawer <laughs> that's solid and useful and I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Uh, well, uh, do you think having lived a life that included the internet, do you think there are any skills from that that would help you in this new uh, kind of knowledge keeping role in, in the past slash future? Uh, you mean like from before the internet or during the internet? You, you talk, uh, mentioned very interestingly that uh, the internet has kind of rewired your brain some and you'd have to grapple with that if we lost it. And I think that's true of a lot of us. I'm also curious if through using the internet, maybe we've gained any skills or gotten used to any things that would help us live without it at the same time. Some of the research talks about cognitive offloading, uh, which is this concept that we use the internet to take care of our short-term memory stuff and like our short-term memory is not as good as it used to be. We've allocated other resources for that. We're not using our brains in that way, which I think is a positive. Like we, we just don't, we've let the internet be our memory for phone numbers or for whatever. But once we take away that resource, I think that my memory would have to like rebuild and I'd have to work on it. I would like to have to start playing like, the physical version of memory to to rebuild my attention span and to relearn how to remember things. And and like, for example, let's say if, if in this scenario, we also lost our phones somehow, I don't know how I would contact most of my family. Like I, I don't know anybody's phone number. I don't have anybody's numbers memorized. My kids' numbers, my, my dad's number. I don't know anybody's phone number. I think there's stuff like that that would be unexpected. <laughs> you don't know how to, like, physically wouldn't be able to get a hold of anyone. Which is different from when I was a kid. I was When I was a kid, I had everybody's numbers memorized. Like, my best friend and, you know, everyone in the family who had a phone, I knew their number. Or I had it written down hand somewhere. When you said uh, we'd probably all lose our phones, I, like, physically clenched a little bit. At the idea of it, I, I immediately I was like, "No, but my it's part of me. I can't." I would never, I would never talk to you guys again. I mean, I, I have this fun scenario where I'm still working for Cracked, as if that's possible. I would never hear from you or anybody we work with again. So I want to know what you would do if the internet disappeared, Alex. Yeah, I. So when you brought up the topic, I was excited that teaching came up for you because I think that's something that would come up for me too. In particular, when I was in school, I had this amazing run of like, as soon as subjects were broken up into different teachers on like grade school, I had like six excellent history teachers in a row. And so every day I'd go to wow. school and I'd be like, oh, this is what the really cool people do. Obviously, they teach history. That's the thing. And I really like the subject and I connect with it. And so I think that would be a good gig in a lot of ways, and if nothing else, because it's 
pretty stable, I think. I think we've needed teachers well before and after the internet throughout the country and world. And I also had a thought that potentially I would go into something that I had never really thought would be a gig for me, which is being an accountant. What? Yeah. I don't know that I would like it. I don't think I would be into it. I think it would be incredibly necessary post-internet or pre-internet. It's something that we need people that there will always be money or or goats or whatever we're trading to be counted. And I think my internetless work ideas are pretty disaster oriented. Like they're pretty like what will feed me forever. And I think accountancy would be something I could do. Right. No turbo tax and people have to uh, actually ask for help on their tax returns. Yeah. There's got to be more accountants to help. That makes sense. But would you have to go back to math? Would you have to go back to school to learn how to be an accountant? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I couldn't do the if it was a city on the edge of forever situation where I'm just dropped into an alley, I could not do it. I think I'm also probably insulting every accountant who's listening where I'm just like, mm. I would just pick your job because it's safe. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of skill in it. <laughs> but I, I would go out and try to pick up those skills and get after it. But and, and also, like, I always wanted to do comedy, too. And I think based on emails, I think we'll get to talk to Tom a lot in particular about wanting to be an entertainer and creator being an analog thing. It's a thing that pre-internet existed and it was just different. And so I think that job would still be something I could pursue. It would just be a lot more speaking to people face to face, a lot less tweeting, uh, you know, uh, elements like that. Twitter is one I was I'm curious about because that really does fulfill a need that people have developed, like their hot takes on funny things or, you know, all their good jokes that so you take away Twitter. I had never had a interest in doing comedy or being a stand-up comedian. But once you, if somebody took away Twitter, I don't know if I would. Like maybe I would want to tell jokes in person at that point because it's just something I didn't know that I liked to do until it existed. Yeah. And so I wonder if you like uh, um, suddenly everyone thinks they're a comedian because <laughs> they've really got it. They've gotten so used to telling their jokes on Twitter that now <laughs> we've got stand up comics on the street corner trying out their materials so that we can get a quick reaction like what we got from Twitter. Yeah, it's really I think it's really an outlet for that. And that's another one as we I think here and there in this, we're going to be looking at ways the internet has come on very quickly or, or hit us very fast. And I was thinking about Twitter before this, and I was like, I should double check how recent that is. And for one thing, it was founded in 2006, which is in- just incredible to me to think about because now it's where like the president gets in fights with people. You know, uh, uh, it was founded in 2006, but its growth is even more recent. If uh, you look back at, in December of 2007, Twitter had... 500,000 unique visitors in a month. And I also, to put that in perspective, I checked our website cracked and we had individual articles with more visits than that in that same month. Like it was, Twitter was nothing until basically the Obama years. And I don't, I don't know how young our listeners are, but those years are pretty recent. Uh, those feel like, uh, right, right. <laughs> unless you're a, a baby, uh, you were alive and probably pretty functional for the rise of this platform where, you know, where now the president's son confesses to crimes just publicly. Uh, that that wasn't a thing exactly. until yeah. <laughs> pretty recently. And that's one that I think we would want to 
like even in, on an individual level, you would try to replace. I would try to replace Facebook maybe by being more social and talking to people in person and get phone numbers so that I could actually call my family and not just message them. The things that I know that I would miss a lot are Facebook because it's up all day and I refresh it all the time and Twitter and the news. Like, yeah. I, but I, but there, there is an analog for the news, which is the news. You know, you just pick up a newspaper. There's nothing out there that's like Twitter that I can think of. I mean, like, maybe write some jokes down on a post-it note and stick them on a wall and see what happens. But <laughs> like, there's nothing, there's nothing else like the, like Twitter out there that I can imagine. Yeah. That would be a hole in my life. At the same time, I, I think I don't love Twitter's impact on the world, but... I also would deeply miss the uh, ability to feel like I know what's going on so quickly, and then, and then also like I, I have I do stand up comedy and I have some some avenues to do jokes if I want to, but to be able to just do them with that little uh, friction is is amazing. Today's show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Are you really sure you know? I don't know if you do. Why don't you try having ZipRecruiter help you do it? Because finding great talent can be tough, but you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click, and then their technology matches the right people to your job better than anyone else can. That's why their site is different, and that's why over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours, which is a small amount of time. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates in one place with their easy-to-use dashboard that makes you feel like a Star Trek captain of hiring a person to do a job. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com cracked. That is ZipRecruiter.com cracked. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash cracked. Support for today's show comes from our friends at Squarespace. You could use a website or you could use a better website. How do I know that about you? Because Squarespace is that good. That's the service you want to use to build something for your next big idea, to build your presence online, to make the website of your dreams happen. Maybe you need to show off a portfolio. Maybe you're starting a business. Maybe you just want more people to know more about you. There is a Squarespace template that can do what you need and do it beautifully if you just check it out. You can use Squarespace's award-winning templates to create a beautiful website in a simple and intuitive process. You click, you drag, you arrange the elements, and there you go. If you have any questions about how it works, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support can help you with any problem. And boy, if more things in life had that, that would be great. So make your next move and start your free trial at squarespace.com today. Enter offer code CRACKED to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that is CRACKED, C-R-A-C-K-E-D. You can read it right off our logo to get going on your new website today. Me and Chrissy are joined in the studio by Abe Epperson. Hello, all. Hey, Abe. How you doing? I'm, I'm all right, man. How are you doing? Good. I'm enjoying your guys' movie show, Crack Movie Club. Check oh, it out. Oh, yeah. Another plug. How wonderful. <laughs> this week is the it's best week plugs, ever. It's all plugs, man. We're doing it. Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, having me. 
Well, we're glad to have you because we want to talk about uh, you being thrust into a terrifying situation, which would be uh, there's there's no internet either because you've been time traveled into the past right, or something right. terrible has happened or, or something like that has happened. What would you go out and do with yourself? How would you live your life? I have a few questions and caveats. Am I as a human with everything that I know thrust into the past and is the past yes. one in which computers don't exist or just the internet does not exist? Your internet is gone, your computer is gone, everything's gone, and now you're just just Abe. Got it. Okay. Trying to get by. To answer that question, uh, I have always been kind of a filmmaker. That's always how I've gotten my money yeah. uh, as a storyteller. There was a brief stint in high school when I was a pizza boy, uh, but I think I got fired from that job because every time I'd or give a pizza, I'd be like, let me tell you a tale. <laughs> no, that's no. not true. <laughs> no, hang on. So you show up to their door like a bard? Like, yeah, because uh... I'm a storyteller, you see? <laughs> no, I actually got fired because of incompetence. Um, but no, uh, really what it comes down to is I love uh, story, and as you all have known since you know Cave Drawings, there's so many different formats for stories, so I think that I would, I, I like to think that people gravitate towards their interests, so I would probably try to become someone who would, um, I, obviously there's a, um, film has an analog version, it's yeah. called film. Uh, mm, never heard of it. Yeah, and... <laughs> Uh, even if there were no computers, this is my humble opinion, uh, I don't think computers have necessarily added to, like, they've added to the toolbox of filmmakers, but they haven't added to, like, the quality of the stories that are yeah. being told. Like, I don't think Kramer versus Kramer is improved much by CGI. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I guess I would say that I would try to break into the industry and do that kind of thing. Now, if it's truly like a handmaiden's tale and there's just, like, no industry for that i think i would call back to once again another movie i would become one of those people from uh, like reign of fire if you saw that movie super <laughs> timely reference but at one point is they, that the, hang on is that the movie where christian bale like fights dragons yeah yeah that's the one okay yeah, that's <laughs> reign on. of fire 2002 <laughs> uh, uh but at one point there's a, a wonderful scene in a otherwise mediocre movie which is now that they do not have any like storytelling devices they just have themselves and it's literally like the days of the Iliad and Homer and stuff they decide to put on a show for all the kitties and the story they're telling is Star Wars so they're doing like the you know and they're acting like Darth Vader and stuff cool. I would totally if I knew things about I would bring that to the new generation that's a cool concept I feel like you would just get into puppets like, so you could tell stories with an analog or, or cameras, like you said, film, actual film. Yeah, if there was still <laughs> devices. Yeah, but I, otherwise I'd become a fictional, <laughs> a fictional historian. Yeah, I, cause I, I was super curious Ooh. about your response, which now I have, right? Uh, because film predates the internet by, what, 70 years yeah. about? And yeah. so it, it, a lot of what you do day to day, if, if people don't know back home yet, Abe is one of our in-house directors here and, and storyteller and many things. A lot of what you do could be replicable in that analog way where you're slicing strips of film and that goofy thingy yeah, that they yeah. use. I know a lot about filmmaking technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all, you're all good. In <laughs> um, talking to Christy before, she said that she would be kind of a, if she could be, like a keeper of knowledge so we could keep, oh, yeah. keep doing the site in a print form. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like you would want to yeah. take that approach, but for the uh, the overall narratives of our time. Uh-oh. Are we just going to get a bunch of the same answers <laughs> for this entire <laughs> podcast? 
That would be so funny if everybody comes in here and they're like, yeah, I want to work for Cracked, but I would do it this way. I You might get a lot of that. And here's the one thing about that is that what I think is interesting about this question is there aren't many jobs on the earth other than like jobs that literally talk about the Internet, specifically Internet pop culture, you know, respond pieces to the Internet kind of stuff. Everything kind of still does have an analog of its own job. Because I was Googling and, and researching and trying to learn in general about just how many people on Earth's yeah. jobs are Internet-specific or very tied to tech. Mm -hmm. Google, which is just electronic books, right? Yeah, <laughs> Again, yeah. Again, an analog. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. I went to the library. Or, I, I used to go to the library. Now I don't. Or it's electronic asking a person. Mm -hmm. Just like mm -hmm. walking up to somebody yeah. and being like, hey, what was that thing? <laughs> and I heard around you know the water mill that you know things about this tell me more. I, I think I'm going to draw on peer research a lot this episode, but they did a study of tech jobs from 97 to 2012, which is pretty within the wheelhouse of internet work. And they found that that amount of jobs almost doubled, and I'm sure it's increased since 2012 too. Mm -hmm. But they also, in adding it all up, found that about 3% of American workers have core tech jobs. A lot of them internet-driven, not right. all. And so, you know, it's a lot of people, but Tons of other people are either doing something where there's just kind of an ancillary internet component mm. or they're just not working in it at all. It just hasn't yeah. moved the needle. And plus robotics is kind of, uh, in, a, in a manner of speaking, outsourced the concept of manual labor to some extent. A lot of the jobs of, you know, like, and I mean, maybe I don't have the factual basis, but the zeitgeist tells me that a lot of, you know, like 20-something, 30-something male and females especially – uh, growing up in that generation have gone to more jobs that were either managerial or like us creatives, you know, uh, editorial, you know, stuff that isn't necessarily like I because you actually asked the question and I thought it was even more hands made and tail than that. Like when you first asked me in terms of like, is it going to be like a post apocalypse? I just assumed there wasn't going to be right. any jobs. That, so I think I said in my original email, like something I do love is working with wood, uh, but that's not interesting so moving on <laughs> you know like it was kind of a thing of that yeah. i realized that that answer made it more about <laughs> me and i think it's more interesting to think about the prospect of how society has been altered by the internet rather than my personal interests as a human being but that's another thing that we have to ask ourselves is that like what hobbies do we also have if you're a listener you're asking yourself the, the same question that we're asking of is like what would i do and uh you got to kind of marry together what you do now, which is probably what you're best at because you've been training at it for many years versus what is yeah. your interest and what would that interest be in this new world order? Because your job now may not be useful or as useful or be able to get as much money. Like I don't think fictional narrator or what did I say? Fictional historian would catch as many. Yeah. You said historian. Yeah. And I want to ask. Uh, yeah, I just that made it later. up. So. But whatever like money, but whatever money barter system we're using. So maybe it's, you know you know, cotton or something. Oh, I, yeah. Maybe I get more cotton if I were to work with wood than I were, if, were I to be a holder <laughs> of Star Wars and retailer of it to it's the, children. And it's starting to turn into Settlers of Catan, I think. Just, yeah, can I get some cotton for the wood? And <laughs> <laughs> That's how you Build the it. longest road. <laughs> it's not like we're all going to go try to be blacksmiths all of a sudden. Like, we're not going to all become mechanical <laughs> 19th century uh, apprentices at anything we should really be thinking in terms of our still our culture and what yeah. what we can do to contribute 
Although, I mean, if you want to be a blacksmith, then go for it. Well, also, I and and Abe, I want, I want to push back on one thing you said. I do find it interesting that woodworking or carpentry or something like that would be mm-hmm. a draw for you. Like, what a what about that kind of work makes it jump to mind at all as even a possibility? Uh, Because I did it when I was in high school. I was pretty good at it because I had, you know, every one of us has like three or four teachers in in your life that you go like, oh man, this subject is really cool. Apropos of not not like me being interested, they gave me passion for it kind of thing because we're all impressionable youths. You know, Mr. Strasser, my uh, woodworking professor. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. uh, He was really good at that and also like the smells and the visceral working with the lathe and the bandsaw all that stuff just inhabits a section of my brain that i'll forever smile upon so that's really it yeah it's sweet that's so sweet i'm curious if everyone's also going to go i went back to high school too when i came up with mine so i'm curious if that's something everybody reverts back to before you get into the workforce, what is it that you were interested in in high school? So when you were almost an adult and you had free time, what you did with your free time as a high school student, I'm curious if that's going to be. I think so, because a lot of us yeah. are around the same age. I know Alex and you and I are, and I'm 32. That means that, yes, I, I had that like insulated high school experience without the internet, but I'd always go home and jump on like AOL Instant Messenger. Like it was still fringe at the time. It still had not taken root into the zeitgeist or like it was what we're all talking about socially because social media kind of came first. But like in terms of like the internet culture and like just the idea of memes. Yeah. I mean, like I'd love to ask someone who's 25 and is a Twitch streamer this question because like I know there's a few people who like there's a whole culture of that of people who essentially that's all they do yeah. is they play video games and connect socially with other people. They don't even regurgitate media. They just literally people watch them. They have populations. They're like comedians, but with a specific medium. I want to know what they're Cause they don't, they probably don't care about woodwork, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. They need a strasser. Yeah, they need a strasser. I can't speak for my kids, but I will like, they're not as connected as you would think for their for this generation like and and I see their friends too like they actually do have hobbies and interests and I don't I I almost wonder if it's something that you really get into as an adult when you are genuinely bored with yeah. like, like when you don't have a ton of friends around you and a workload that you have to do when you get home at night and like designated activities I wonder if it's if kids are still more You're probably right about that. I think actually. there's a cultural bias or just like the narrative that like society has wanted to tell us that we're all probably buying into. I know I don't know many people under the age of, you know, 25 or even younger. I can't say I know, but it's definitely a narrative that's been fed to me to say like, right. oh, yeah, they all just are iPadding it up every day. <laughs> that's who they are. And I, that's probably not true at all. It's just a, you know, a ma- a matter of their existence <laughs> that they have iPods or iPads, oh geez, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that they have like screens as, as a part of their life. But like, I also had Nintendo. Well, I'm trying to think of an analog for us because I, there's things yeah. that were like the previous generation didn't have that I was definitely all like a ham about. Like I love the N64, but it wasn't like inf- it was influential in my gaming experience. But like, I assume Monopoly was for some kid, you know, <laughs> at some point. Oh, come on. Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's got it. Well, you know what I mean. Right? 
what kind of weirdo kid is out there? Like, Monopoly's my I was just reading about how, you know how, I forget what they call them, those tests that they, or not tests, but those drills that people do in order to, like, get your brain sharper, like, puzzles and stuff like that. Like, they have apps for that, and that's existed forever. Yeah. yeah. They were doing tests on, uh, they just recently came out, and they, like, tried it against, like, several pu- uh, puzzling uh, games, like Portal 2. And they were like, yeah, Portal 2's way better for that. Like, their brain, the, the MRI scans say that, like, their brain is going crazy oh. when p- they're playing Portal 2 versus, you know, just doing, I guess, optical illusions and crosswords and stuff. Yeah. And going back to, I, I think it was the very first Crack Podcast episode, they talked about the Flynn effect and how, oh, we're seeing IQ levels rise among right. generations and generations of people. And I'm curious how much of that is internet driven. You know, like, I feel like young kids will be at once very ready for some kind of catastrophe like this or some kind of change yeah. like this because they're so adaptable, mm-hmm. but also how much of that adaptability is because they have the internet at their fingertips and so they're learning so much from it. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like I have little cousins who, uh, my, my one little cousin is constantly on an iPad and uh, I asked my aunt and uncle like, oh, what's he doing on there? And they said, he's just learning stuff on YouTube. He's mm-hmm. just watching videos about either just knowledge or tutorials, or he loves to just oh, wow. learn just Khan Academy from, <laughs> from this basically perfect knowledge box. Uh, there's a sh- uh, short story, or it, I, I guess it's novella, uh, Childhood's End by Arthur Clarke that is basically... Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke that is basically saying um, <laughs> that, that a- aliens have like created our society to create the perfect children. So that, like, the children have, like, the best IQs that humanity could offer. And then they're like, we'll take them away. And then... uh, Oh, no. And then now we'll have perfect humans. (laughs) And a whole generation of perfect humans. Uh, You should retroactively say, spoilers. (laughs) Spoilers. Just so you have it, editor. Spoilers. Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke is the following. I I also retroactively apologize for being a dick about Arthur C. Clarke's middle edition. That's more than fine. I don't think I've ever said in my entire life Arthur Clarke. I just had this instantaneous notion of like I could be wrong for a second, even though I know I wasn't. Because that's what podcasts do to you. Never record your own voice, audience. Oh yeah, never do one of these. Never do one of these. Bad idea. It's like holding up a mirror to like your low lights. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, that just reminded me of that because that's like, yeah, that could be what's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they'll have you to tell them what happened in major films yeah. and other yeah. parts of our culture. I still want to explore fictional historian. You've got to, yeah, you've got yeah. to give me more on that at some point because that sounds well, yeah, like. Yeah, you can just make stuff up and say it's history. <laughs> <laughs> that's like being a like an, just an asshole real historian. <laughs> We have huge news for those of you on the East Coast, particularly near New York City. Last year, we got to do a festival called Now Hear This in Anaheim, California, and it was a fantastic time. We did a live episode about time travel. We got to meet all kinds of fans who we would never otherwise see, and it was wonderful. This time, we are coming across the country to Manhattan to do the show. Now Hear This is September 8th through 10th in New York City. Come see your favorite shows, make some new friends, maybe even meet us after the show. You know, Big Apple, anything can happen. 
it really is an amazing lineup. They've got How Did This Get Made, Love It or Leave It, Politically Reactive. We had Kamau and Hurry on the show uh, a few weeks back, and maybe you enjoyed that interview with them. You can see their whole show doing a special live version at this festival with the same pass that you could use to see us. It's sort of like a music festival where one pass gets you into everything, except it's, you know, indoors and a nice environment and just really, really chill. We also have a special offer code for the first 100 people to use it. If you use promo code CRACKED, you get $20 off that pass to see all of the shows in one huge New York City weekend. Go to nowhearthisfest.com to learn more and get your tickets. That's nowhearthisfest.com. And you can enter offer code CRACKED at checkout to save 20 bucks. We are joined in the studio now by Tom Ryman. Hey, Hello. Tom. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. As I told Abe, I'm really enjoying Crack Movie Club. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, really digging it. Um, I just sent you an, uh, an important email about it, so hopefully. I don't use email. So, oh, okay, good. Because uh, <laughs> we have been transported into a, a world that is uh, internetless and in All many right. ways computerless. Okay, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to type it up on a uh, Selectric typewriter, and then I'm going to get a bike messenger <laughs> to come here and then carry it to you yeah. at your desk. Yeah, hook that up. Okay. <laughs> and use a rotary phone to <laughs> arrange it. Um, when we've been emailing, I was like, hey, what would you do, Tom, if you were in this world where we don't have the internet and, and these things that we work in day to day? We're lucky people to do that. Uh, and you, you said in some ways things would be kind of the same, which was interesting. Sort of. I, w- <laughs> I would be making a lot less money. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the internet didn't even occur to me as a career choice until probably like 2009. But basically, I always wanted to be a writer. It was in third grade, I think. Third or, oh, no, fourth grade. I'm sorry. In fourth grade, my teacher put us in a part of the day. She's just scheduled for a creative writing class. And I really clicked with that because I was always, this may surprise you, but I was a nerdy child. <laughs> I read I read books all the time. I didn't go outside. Yeah, I just sat at home and read my egghead books. Um, I think I think this may surprise you, but I was a nerdy child could be like a lot of our websites just like log lines for stuff. It's great. Yeah. I, I was it. a nerdy child. <laughs> It's our new tagline. Yeah. <laughs> we, this may surprise you, but we were nerdy children. My friends were my books. <laughs> and you, yeah, my you best see... friends were Huck Finn and, uh, <laughs> and Dr. Alan Grant. I got really into creative writing. We would do things where we would write stories and then post them on the, uh, they had like a, a corkboard bulletin board that you could thumbtack short stories to. And then, yeah, and then other people, in the other kids in the class could take them down and read them. And I just wrote like one a week wow yeah and from like that point i just wrote all the time i had you know some like little successes you know like um they have young writers festivals or whatever and i got into a couple of those and it's just like from that point on i was like okay this is what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna write i'm gonna write stories um and it worked out perfectly for me because i was terribly antisocial <laughs> and i was like this is a job i can do without ever leaving my house <laughs> It was that way pretty much all up until high school. Like I never had any, probably junior year. Um, it was just like, nope, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to college. I'll, I'll major in like English, which is. Yeah. The language mm-hmm. of writing. Right. Shakespeare wrote in English. <laughs> Little tidbit. I can do uh, that. Yeah. Um, to all our foreign language listeners, I'm joking. Uh, it's fun. <laughs> what would you be writing? What kind of stuff would you be writing? Uh, novels. Yeah. yeah. You'd be writing novels. Yeah, I didn't even the 
humor stuff didn't even like it did. I wrote like f- funny stories or whatever, and like I would goof off and do funny things in um class and whatnot. And when I got to sixth grade, we had Friday themes that we had to write every Friday, and I was super into Dave Barry. Oh, so for my Friday, here. yeah, so for my Friday <laughs> theme awesome. every week, I would basically just write like a Dave Barry column. It would just be like crazy. You would volunteer to go readers in front of the class. And if nobody volunteered, my teacher would just start picking people. But I volunteered every single week (laughs) to go read my theme in front of the class. Yeah. They were just, they were, you know, the sixth grade equivalent of a, of a five minute comedy bit. Like it was just, I would just do these crazy, absurd things. When you said Dave Barry, I realized and remembered that I was really into Irma Bombeck Mm. when I was a kid. Do you guys know who that is? She was like this, um, housewife humorist lady who had the series of books on just being she's funny but she's telling her stories about her kids and now i'm just realizing oh my gosh I'm <laughs> oh yeah I, <laughs> like I, was like, I would be like in sixth grade and and i picked like her pieces to read for competitions <laughs> and so like a little 11 year old girl reading housewife stories <laughs> um uh, and, in front of my fellow students trying to get a laugh. Oh my gosh, this just brought back so many. <laughs> yeah, memories. sure. I, I sorry. I was a huge Dave Barry fan. <laughs> I, I also sought out certain other. Did you guys ever read Bill Sheft? No. He was a Letterman writer, but he did uh, like humor writing in the sports section, and it would basically be a transcript of a stand-up comedy routine about sports. And it blew my mind that that could even be a thing. Like I, and then I just tried to do that in the school paper, and they let me some of the time, which was fantastic. Uh, but I, but awesome. it was very formative that like print media humor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I I used to read um, in addition to Dave Barry, I used to read Louis Grizzard. Have you ever heard of him? He was. I, a, I know that name. Yeah. Yeah, he was a. I mean, he's he's passed away many years ago now, but um, he was, uh, I think in Georgia, as a humorist, he had a, also a column anyway. He's very similar to Dave Barry, except he was kind of like a more Southern kind of, and I go back and he would give like speaking tours and stuff now, and I go back and listen to and read some of his stuff now, so it's a little problematic. But, um, <laughs> well, that's good. That's <laughs> but like, One interesting thing is that you're both excellent columnists for the site, and I think if we lost the internet, you would like have avenues to do that just in print because there's been a, a lineage of people like Dave Barry, Irma Bombeck, Art Buckwalds, some of Gene Weingarten's stuff back to like, you know, Mencken, even Twain back in the day was doing a lot of just short pieces for publications. And right. That's how he made his made his bones and traveled the world. That job would be oddly fine, even though it, I think, feels very Internet driven just because that's the medium it, it happens in. Right, right. That's where it's gone. But yeah, like a lot of. You're right. Like a lot of what we do are jobs that previously existed. (laughs) It's just now it's the sort of the way it's done and the format has changed to adapt to the internet. So I always wanted to be a writer. I thought I was going to be like a novel writer. And then, you know, I tried some like humor writing on the side, but turns out it's very hard to do. (laughs) (laughs) And then I sort of abandoned that for a long time like I didn't write anything for a long time because in 11th grade I got really into punk rock yeah. and I decided I was going to be a musician oh. <laughs> um, so cool. uh, yeah I spent like 10 years as an amateur semi-professional musician like just trying to like I really considered dropping out of college because I was like well I'm not you know this is not I'm not doing anything I played by myself for a while for like two or three years because you know Dashboard Confessional was huge at the time. 
you know, and I would play in coffee shops and I played in a couple of clubs. I played, I played my acoustic set with a metal band one time and that was fun. Crowd was not into it. But, um, Wait, like like you opened for them with acoustic stuff? Or? I played in between two bands. Oh no, <laughs> acoustic stuff. They were not into it. What kind of music did you play? Um, at that time, I was playing kind of emo, kind of like Bright Eyes. Yeah, kind of like oh, folksy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna hear you. Kind of structureless, but still in that vein. And then, like in the mid 2000s, I put a band together and we played for about 10 years ish. And the uh, around the local wow. scene, like in clubs, and you know, you, we, there was not much of a punk scene. It's not great in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, which is where I was from. So we would be playing in like bars, piers, like pier, like a on the water, the university commons. You know, we played a battle of bands in a commons one time. Delis, we played at a deli one time. Pretty much any yeah. any place that would like set up a mic and be like, you play here. In this internet-free world that we're imagining, you would be a musician. We'd get to go listen to you. You'd be a troubadour. That's what you could do. You could be a maybe, troubadour. Yeah. You could <laughs> sing but, songs of stories. But, yeah, maybe. I, I was I was poor as hell. Like I was, you know, <laughs> I was living on like three hundred dollars every two weeks, working just crap minimum wow. wage jobs at like you know a sandwich shop and then at like retail and stuff like that. And the internet was at a stage where it wasn't very helpful to us. I mean, now it's like incredibly important to uh, yeah. musicians, but YouTube wasn't a thing. You know, you had like <laughs> things like pure volume and like MySpace, but that didn't get you really much reach. So mm-hmm. like the internet was like not a factor. <laughs> it was all just like us on the ground trying to, you know, meet people and like, you know, make friends with bands that they would book you on their shows and then try to make friends with promoters that they would put you on their shows. And yeah, the internet really didn't play into it. Like I didn't have a computer for a couple of years there. <laughs> um, anytime I wanted to, wow. yeah, if I, had, if I had to use the internet for some reason, I had to go to the library. So it was like a once sure. a week thing, maybe for like 30 minutes going online. One of the things we talked about before was how kids now are so used to learning and taking in YouTube videos just constantly. I wonder if musicians today are really heavily reliant on the internet just to learn their instruments and learn their songs and because YouTube is like the go-to resource for when you want to learn something. And you didn't have that. Did you just do traditional lessons and then pick it up as you went? No, no, I never had a lesson. I used uh, tabs. I would go find tabs and they were, they were like, you know, some message boards and stuff in the, in the late nineties when I was, learning to play um, that had lots of tabs. So I just like, you know, look at tablature. And then after a while, you just sort of develop an ear for it. I can't play many songs that I haven't written because I'm not a very good musician. Um, But the songs I can play are songs that I'm able to just, I'll just sit there and listen to it and be trying to play along with it to try to just match what they're doing. And that's that's basically how I learned. And I I think that's also how a lot of people learned before and after the internet uh, you, you mm-hmm. hear stories of the like when jazz was first developing people would just listen to it a lot and try to pick it up yeah uh, and and that was how they uh, and i had a little i had a little bit of knowledge because i did play violin in mm-hmm. fifth grade uh, so yeah. i had a little bit of like knowledge of like fingering and chords and and stuff like that but um the internet in its infancy was sort of helpful yeah because i could get the tabs but then also you know they sell tablature books at every music oh, store yeah. I get those yeah. too a lot of the monthly magazines like guitar world and stuff they have a whole tab section at the back every month that just has like yeah. a couple of like popular songs 
um, in them. That is a thing where today I have an app on my phone that has tabs if I need them. Oh, and, cool. <laughs> and 20 years ago, I would be going to our local library and getting a very, very large physical copy <laughs> of like just tabs of Beatles right. songs. <laughs> just that alone was this huge, oh, yeah. like atlas sized book if I wanted to know how to play Fool on the Hill on the piano. Do you play, <laughs> it, what do you play, Alex? Do you play piano? I don't really play anymore, but yeah, I played piano and I played trumpet oh, growing up. We have a yeah. band. We're going to have a cracked band in the no internet world. This is great. <laughs> Dan and Cody Heck and yeah. Abel play. Yeah. And they're not letting the internet stop them. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing it. <laughs> they're living the dream. <laughs> Do you think overall the internet is more or less helpful to a musician just as a broadcast? I know we've we talked about this a little bit so far. But it's both. Yeah. Um, I think it's easier to become a musician because like Christy was saying, there's, you just have so many more resources that are just immediately available to you now. Like, um, I mean, it wasn't hard for me, you know, 20 years ago, but like now it's like, it wouldn't even be any challenge to find anything you wanted. Like you could find instructional videos on how to do anything as far as playing an instrument. And you could build an audience to get feedback through YouTube, which is what most musicians mm-hmm. do these days, right? Or however they get, I mean, like you have access to yeah, people yeah. that you wouldn't have access yeah, to Yeah, you before. can, absolutely, yeah. I had to use message boards. So I, I had a little bit of that in, in the beginning, which I guess would just translate to, I had a little four track and what I would do is I would record my demos, on my four track and then upload it to this message board to ask for feedback. And I actually, a couple of songs developed that way, cool. but I guess without that, it would just be me recording on the four track and taking it to the band, which is what we wound up doing when I put a band together was I would just, I would record demos for new songs on my four track and then play it for the guys. And, and then we'd build from there. Yeah. It's, it's having an immediate immediate audience for feedback definitely um like gosh chance the rapper just youtube right he didn't have a record yeah that's the thing he's avoided it like he's kind of tied to apple music now but just for grammy nomination purposes right yeah he just i mean that was all just mixtapes yeah man all of oh we'd lose so much rap and hip-hop without the internet you'd lose a lot tape driven yeah you'd lose a lot oh you're bummed Um, let's save the internet you guys i think streaming is very harmful for for musicians yeah, the internet has has made it much much easier for you to mm-hmm. reach people. It has made it much much more difficult for you to actually make money right. as a musician. I think it seems like it. Yeah, I would still be broke as hell, and I would either be <laughs> um, still playing or uh, writing or a, a mixture of both. Um, yeah. So it wouldn't my life wouldn't be that much different? I would just be way more stressed out <laughs> all the time. Well, so far, Tom, just about everybody's gone back to their high school experiences to give us their analog of what they'd be doing. And you're in there, too. This is interesting. Yeah, everybody's had a, a formative teacher or two. Uh, in particular. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, mine were in fourth and sixth grade. <laughs> you went back further. That's what really determined it for me. And then he went back further, but um, that's a pattern we've noticed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone goes back to their childhood yeah. and comes <laughs> up with stuff that they enjoyed doing as a kid, which is maybe a message for us. You know, let's all go back to our, our childhoods and explore the things we used to like. Yeah. Yeah. We are joined on the line by Anne Smiley. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Hi. Hi. Yeah. It's good to have you, and uh, I think not everybody back home knows uh, what you do at the site, which uh, it's exciting to me, uh, getting this many people on one show, uh, but let people know a little bit about uh, what you do day-to-day at Cracked. Sure. Uh, 
Uh, my official title is editor, but that doesn't really cover it. Um, I'm in charge of the image content, so contests, photoplasty, pictofacts, and lately we're working with artists to create their own single artist macro sets, which are just fabulous and fun. So I do some editing and some image design and image editing which I think sort of covers it. Yeah, I think so. And, and I, I, yeah, I hope people realize how much research and fact-checking and assembling goes into all those collections that we run every day. Uh, it's quite a bit, and, and you work on so much of it. When we checked in with people about, hey, uh, either a catastrophe or something fine has happened, but either way, uh, the Internet's gone and computers are, are uh, I don't know, busy, vanished. They're gone. Um, you emailed something that I didn't know before, which is that you had worked in print journalism layout before. That's right. When I was in college, I studied journalism, and I had actually planned to be a reporter. Uh, leading up to that, you know, when you major in journalism, you work, you do everything. You do the layout, you do the writing, you do the reporting, you do the editing. And I always love doing the layout. It's it's just lots of fun. Um, and during my summers, I interned as a reporter. And so I have firsthand experience of what a newsroom in a newspaper is like. And they're just an awesome place to be. You're surrounded by incredibly smart people, and they're kind of the first ones to find out what's going on. So when you said, without the Internet, where would you like to be? A newsroom is the first place that I thought because they're so well informed. All of that information that you'd get off the internet, you'd get in a newsroom. Yeah, that's awesome. Christy, in her answer to this, had mentioned wanting to be kind of a, a knowledge keeper, I guess, <laughs> like a, kind of assemble all the, the facts and the things that uh, we used to put together cracked or to just be people. And that's a thing I hadn't thought of that newspapers were probably a way for people to have an Internet-ish experience before that even existed. Yeah, exactly. The work is really hard because you have to be so well-informed and because it all moves so quickly. I think that's probably why I went into graphic design because it's so daunting being a writer and being a reporter. But it's an amazing place to be. Would you be like on the ground looking for stories and, and interviewing people firsthand and... And putting them in print for everybody? That's what I did during my summers, but I think I would rather work doing layout. You know, being on the graphic side of the newspaper, you're still there in the newsroom, but uh, you're actually assembling the paper and you're creating the graphics, and the equipment is super cool. <laughs> I think I talked about this in my email, Alex. Wax and T-squares and E-scales. And you get to sit at a drafting table, which is just amazing because <laughs> there's this special stool. You know, you're kind of higher up than everyone else. In your description of it, I was sort of thinking about behind-the-scenes photos I've seen of people who worked in movie special effects in the past. Because you realize, like, oh, yeah, obviously before CGI, they were in these, like, craft shops where they were gluing everything together. And I had forgotten that, oh, yeah, before the Internet and the Adobe Suite and the other things we take for granted, obviously people were stitching together every part of a newspaper. Yeah, and you had to have an incredible amount of technical know-how when it comes to typography and measuring and picas, and there was just a lot of math that went into putting together a laid-out newspaper page or just any kind of 
uh, graphics. And um, there are a lot of shortcuts now, you know, because you do it all with computers. But I kind of miss needing that level of expertise. In my scenario, we all work for Cracked, but in an analog version. So it sounds like we've got our technical layout person, the person who's actually going to help us put our fictional craft magazine or newspaper back together. You know when people are like, hey, you need to have a plan for a fire earthquake. Like, we're kind of doing that today. This is great. We are ready. (laughs) Yep, we're good. Oh, plus in the newsroom, (laughs) they have hats. You know those fabulous, like a fedora that has a press card in it and the reporters wear Alex, I knew you'd be excited about that. There are hats. Oh, man. This is my, I'm, I'm going back through this time hole now. I'm in. Here we go. With any kind of uh, media work or creative work, uh, I feel like the environment it's made in kind of drives the final product, right? Like, like Anne, do you feel like you, you don't have to be too particular about the specific paper you're at, but do you feel like I would imagine the work came out just a little differently or was maybe a little community-driven in its own way because it was made in that environment? Oh, absolutely. Something I remember is that there was an ongoing rubber band war, you know, because newspapers were held together with rubber bands, right? I mean, I guess they still are. And so the reporters and the photographers had this kind of ongoing battle going where they'd shoot rubber bands at each other. Sometimes they'd ricochet them off the ceiling it was just kind of this amazing thing. It was a tense environment, but having this sort of ridiculous thing going on at the same time just, just made it really fun. I feel like our inter- the internet version is sending each other silly gifs. Very excited. <laughs> yeah. about it. It's, you know, like, <laughs> instead of a rubber band, here's <laughs> a guy falling over. I'd like to think that Cracks kind of maintains at least some of that aspect in the way it has its forums. I, I feel like... Uh, Almost everybody has some kind of formative experience there if they go on to work at the at our website, either a br- either briefly or on a, an ongoing basis. Yeah, it's nice to be in the smart humor business because you get a real feel for personalities, and there's a, a kind of a lightness to the environment because we are all kind of making snarky comments about real things. You know, we're, we know what we're talking about. We're informed, but we're also kind of pointing at it and laughing together. Christy, you might be able to speak better to the overall forum experience. Would you miss that, do you think, or try to replicate it some way? I don't know how I would replicate that because I think of the forum, the the way that I function in the forum is still like almost um, as a teacher or a recruiter, or I'm looking at like other, and and does this too, where we're looking at other people's content and trying to see if it makes a, if it's a fit for the site and try to mold it into the site. And I guess I would because it's a teaching role almost. And if I wanted to interact with people who were younger, I would need to or older or whatever. And in my fictional scenario, I'm rebuilding the card catalog of the library, like the old fashioned card catalog so that we have access to information so that we can, so it's all uh, organized so that we can continue our, our, our work. I guess I would be in a situation where I am talking to people face to face in that scenario. I wouldn't be need to go into a room of people and grade their papers and tell them how to, how to write, which is kind of how I function on the forums. Now I don't use it as socially as some of, some people do, and I wouldn't need those interactions online. 
I mean, there's a certain amount of interaction when it comes to reporting the news. You know, you go out and you talk to people and you connect with them. But we really wouldn't have that community that's directly contributing like we do with the crack boards. That's a really neat thing about Cracked, and it's kind of unique, that people can just kind of walk in and help us build content. And they can come in and directly tell us how they think we're doing. That's unusual. I don't know if we would have that without the Internet. Anybody can write for Cracked. Go into the workshop and sign up and send us your ideas, by the way, everyone. Yeah, you can click to the forums right from the homepage and and be part of the site. It's great. I don't know why I said it in a same voice. (laughs) We earnestly mean that, and please do that. Uh, <laughs> yes, and and we need image set contributors. It's not as hard as you might think. So uh, please contribute. I've done a limited amount of graphical work on the Adobe Suite mainly. I, I, I know there's a lot of appeal of being a craftsman and, and handling things by hand. We've had Abe was talking about when he was on of like handling wood and the smells, you know, all that stuff's great. I think I would miss the ease of point and click and knocking that out. You know what I would miss is the undo key. <laughs> so you're working with ink <laughs> and a ruler and you're put down your line and it's there forever. I mean, I suppose you could paint it out with white out, but it's just never going to be as nice. So yeah, undo. <laughs> I would love to be able to undo in real life. Actually, I want that now. I want a real life undo. <laughs> Yeah, we haven't spread that technology enough, I think. Far and wide. Yeah. <laughs> Being able to draw a straight line or draw a perfect circle, I miss that. And then not having to worry about how many characters to write to fit to a space. Because, you know, column inches, that whole concept is gone. An article is as long as it needs to be on the Internet. It just goes down and down. When I was a reporter, it was, you need to write two takes on this subject, and that means 2,000 characters. No longer, no shorter. You have to capture your story in that length. And that's its own challenge. Oh, and by the way, you have to do it by 2 o'clock today. The deadline was always 2 o'clock every day, not once a week, every day. I, this, this might be a silly question. I, how did people character count? Was it, did they just kind of eyeball it and try to get a sense of it? At that time, there were computers. They were not PCs per se, and so it was a word processor that would count characters for you. It was just oh, a very okay. limited one. But before that, I'm assuming, yeah, they just would manually count how many characters. And you you had one type size, and there wasn't any wiggle room. You know, you couldn't make your font bigger or smaller. It was just, it was always 12-point times, and so there was just no no wiggle room. Either you had to cut your text or there'd be a space. Oh, man. I just imagined a sea of graphic designers hearing that and, and, and feeling, you know, bereft. Like, oh, that's it? I have 12-point times old Roman, whatever it was? Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Times is so small and narrow so that it can fit lots and lots of text. And then for headlines, it was more complicated than that because each character, they're not monospaced. So a W is three whatevers, and an I is one whatever. And so you have to count your letters so that they'll fit with your headline font. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, it it used to be really, really complicated doing graphic design, but also really cool. I think some listeners are going to totally geek out over over these descriptions. They're going to love it. This also, it reminds me of that, it's that classic onion joke from when they did the Our Dumb Century when 
I think it's World War II starts and the headline is Wah Dash and it's continued on the next page. Like It's just a perfect anachronistic headline setting joke. Uh, because back in the day, someone would make sure that didn't happen through painstaking hand work. We are joined in studio by Sandra Sorensen. Hey, Sandra. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. Christy and I are taking people into a disastrous future slash past slash situation, uh, as we emailed about no internet and limited computers. No. And I know, <laughs> right. It, uh, well, maybe good, maybe bad. I don't know. Yeah. I, I have mixed feelings. But uh, what would you go out and, and do and be if, if uh, we could no longer make our revenue through through magical internet? Well, I have kind of a split response to this because as I was thinking about it, I realized my previous career would probably work because I worked for a newspaper for many years. I was a newspaper reporter. Um, oh. And actually, financially, I'd probably be a lot better off doing that <laughs> if it were. <laughs> uh, it might be yeah. a livable wage for once. Right. <laughs> the, the plague that's killing newspapers wouldn't exactly. uh, be happening. Gone. And then people are probably <laughs> going to be grabbing up newspapers, oh, yeah. and, you know, fever pitch. Um, yeah. But one thought that I did have at least once a day as a newspaper reporter was, um, man, I should really learn a trade, <laughs> like something sort of recession proof, something to get me away from a screen. So I think I would go into the farrier sciences, which I don't know if everyone knows what that means, but um, that is putting shoes on horses and oh my um, gosh. basically tending, of course, uh, and tending to the hooves of, you know, horses and other equines, I think we call them. It's sort of like pedicures, but much more beneficial to the uh, horse's comfort and much more deadly, really, or, or more of a chance of death. What oh, the man. heck? Are you a horse person? Or did you just come out of nowhere? I'm not really, but um, the reason that I brought it up was my father actually did it when I was a kid. He did it for about eight years. And so I was just thinking, wow. well, in this sort of thought experiment, I'd probably have to go to what's you know the closest thing we have to a family business. And I bet he'd teach me. I mean, it yeah. takes forever to learn and you're never really good at it until you've been under a thousand horses, as my dad said. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, you can start practicing after you've been studying it for a few months. And, you know, I figure it would get me outside, nice, robust activity. So, um, and I feel like, I'm wondering if in this scenario, everyone's going to be rushing and trying to figure out what they're going to do for a living. I don't know that everyone's going to be rushing right. into this field. So. This is by far the most interesting yeah. answer we've had yeah. so far. This, that's fascinating. It's phenomenal. Yes. Um, I had a mental picture of like farriers hanging, farriers it's called? Yeah. Like them hanging out and one of them like, ah, I've only been under 800 horses. Yeah. I'm just not. That's my favorite saying in the world now is... When you are under a thousand, a thousand horses, horses. Yeah. you will know the horse. Oh, gosh. You know, I actually uh, spoke with my dad not that long ago about his experiences doing this. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't misremembering it or making bad assumptions. I did see him do this a few times, and he had a bunch of great one-liners. One of them was he mentioned that sometimes people would drug their animal <laughs> if it was a really difficult animal to deal with. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, it's not necessarily a good idea because loaded animals are unpredictable. So... <laughs> your brain went to where can I gain knowledge in this world and your family trade is oh. is that's so smart I, I would have never thought of that like who who can I go to to teach me something that's useful and that's that's really interesting yeah actually when I was a kid my dad had offered to teach me a bit about it 
And so I think it was about 10 or so. And um, I was like, yeah, you know, that that sounds like a great thing. And then, you know, stuff comes up, life happens, and there's middle school, and you just kind of get busy. And so I never really learned it. Again, I feel like everyone's going to be getting all these applications in, like anyone in a trade mm-hmm. uh, in this like internet disaster era um, is going to be getting a ton of applications. And like, you know, I think my dad could. <laughs> is there good money in ferrying? Work. What's interesting is we always just called it horseshoeing, but if you say you shoe horses too fast, people think you're a murderer. So <laughs> we, you know, you have to go back to right. to a more French-sounding title for shoe clarity's horses. sake. <laughs> it's it's French for I'm not a murderer. Yeah, it's French for I do not kill horses for fun and profit. <laughs> yeah. Where was he doing this work? Like, was it was it there a big? horse infra I don't know what to call it horse infrastructure yeah. in, in the region um so I actually grew up in Los Angeles in in Culver City oh and uh so no <laughs> <laughs> okay. so he kind of just drove all over the place and that's what's kind of interesting too is he would go up to Malibu um he would go to Topanga quite a bit and he actually met a lot of celebrities doing this we have kind of a cool list he met uh Marvin Gaye Billy Preston John Densmore, the um, drummer from The Doors, and a few others. And because he'd be working at stables where celebrities would keep their horses, so like in Topanga or in Malibu. And interestingly, he uh, sort of unwittingly became a part of, you know, the um, Universal Studios tram tour through the back lots. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so he was helping out with a client's horse there because what people would do in this in L.A., they'll sometimes lease their horse to studios who need them. And so my dad was just working on a client's horse on this Universal Studios back lot, and, you know, the tram goes by and you wave and to showing the horse. This is so smart because you would, by necessity, uh, have a connection to rich people because only rich people can have horses and so that's almost like another layer of protection for yourself that you would stay connected with people with money. Actually that's a great point yeah because I mean just because the internet's down doesn't mean that people aren't going to have cars so you're right it's mostly going to be still wealthy people that that own horses for sure. And also there's an aspect where there's older people in my family uh, and one of them said at one point like, ah, cars are all just computers now. Like you used to be able to just get under one and fix one. Now so much of it is electronic and wired and and even people are trying to get cars that have the maximum amount of, you know, Bluetoothy, internet-y, television screen kind of fixings on them. I know a lot about cars. Yeah. And I don't know if we if we lose the internet completely, maybe maybe horses come back. That's a pretty <laughs> bold prediction and probably wrong. But I am no, almost I sticking this, by it. I love this idea because um in my my fantasy of all this, you can't either run or trust most of your cars now. And mine is pretty old, but it's still fairly computer dependent. So what do you do? You have a horseless carriage all of a sudden. I don't know if this is possible. I don't think you can actually hook up horses to like pull your Civic, but maybe. Yeah. We're, we're playing with yeah. all kinds of scenarios here. How much do you think if we stop having the internet, how much would people be working outdoors more? Because I, I like hiking and stuff, but I, I don't think I would like having an outdoor trade. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us would need to find one. Yeah, I agree. Um, going back to 
the whole newspaper thing, what sounds so exhausting about doing that pre-internet is you have to actually go out and find people or you're waiting for people to call you back. Gross. Yeah. Pounding the pavement. What? (laughs) So I I definitely think everything gets a lot more interactive, which would bring so much of us outside. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time outside before the internet, though. So I think I'd, I'd probably stay inside. There'd still be TV. Yeah, there'd still be TV. Well, not for me. Yeah. I only have streaming. I'd have to like <laughs> go like collect all of my DVDs from 2005 or whatever, <laughs> and watch a. Oh, that would be an watch Garden market. State over and over again because it's the only one I have. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There have been a few stories lately some of them with positive tones and some of them with very mocking tones, but about the remaining blockbusters, and most of them are in Alaska, and most of them are... And it's because there's not very good internet infrastructure. It's hard to get high-speed streaming at your place or on your phone or something like that if you're in the middle of Alaska. And so there's a high demand for all that physical media. Maybe we'll all be riding our horses to Blockbuster again. That's true. Well, and I was thinking, good news for you, there might be more of a demand for archiving services because we've just been going, you know, paperless and we've been getting, I've been getting rid of my DVDs and all of a sudden there's a market for that. You can definitely do that indoors. You know, call around, try and amass some amazing collection. One of the things I wrote down that I didn't send you, I thought, so, so Sandra, my, my deal is I'm going to be an archivist somehow. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. But somebody's going to have to sit nice. down for us, cracked.com, watch movies and write down dialogue because we don't have like all the dialogue on IMDb anymore or any, like we're going to need another pop culture <sighs> archive that will help us continue our entertainment process. Well, I have to say that interests me and you can't shoe horses forever. You know, I mean, after a while, it's such backbreaking work. You need a different plan C to transition into. So I'm just going to get my resume in that pile as well. (laughs) It'd be funny if the level of competency at shoeing horses is a thousand horses and then the level of I need to quit is like a thousand one. Like, oh, that's enough of this. Oh boy. Getting too old for this shit. Yeah. The thing is, you are under the horse a fair amount. I didn't remember this from watching my dad do it, but he said you spend almost half your time actually under the horse because you have to get the right angle to fit the shoe. So, yeah, you're not going to want to do that into your 50s or 60s. horrifying. Oh, man. Under a horse. Oh, so scary. They're so big. You pick the scariest one. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I really did. I mean, and the thing is, I probably don't go outside nearly as much as I should. But when I do, and when I have reasons that keep me going outside, I'm actually like, oh, what a novelty, you know? This is, uh, I should probably keep doing this. This is good for my health and quality of life. So I think part of me choosing this is I want to force myself into good habits that, you know, I've gone too soft, I guess, so. (laughs) We're also talking a bit about, with this topic, how, you know, the internet's come on very quickly. Mm -hmm. Like it said before, but there's a Pew Research study. They found that a majority of Americans used the internet in 2000 starting that like it's so recent that is so recent uh, but also so many of these other prior technological changes are pretty recent too and like i would imagine every town either had a farrier or wanted a farrier for what a thousand years i don't know exactly how long horseshoes have been a technology uh, yeah, thousands of years for sure yeah and so that that was a gig for every place forever yeah. and then starting i don't know early 20th century that even started to dip 
Yeah, you know? with the, I assume, industrial revolution, let's say. <laughs> I haven't yeah, checked, I think, but... Yeah, I think cars in particular. Yeah. Like, like wide ownership of cars, yeah. Right, absolutely. Yeah. That's an excellent point. And so it definitely was a dying art, but there's still a very... I don't know if it's a, a niche demand. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're saying bring it back. <laughs> well, yeah. I think I'm almost realizing that like when we lose the internet, some people will still, I'm saying when we lose the internet. Like <laughs> We've talked ourselves into if this. If we lost the internet. <laughs> if we lost the internet, some of us would still artisanally have those kind of gigs, kind of the same way that your dad found a gig and doing something that in some ways technology had replaced and, and brought us past. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to keep Cracked going. It's going to be great. I think so. And I love the idea that Cracked would become possibly a print product again. Man, I had not even thought of that going into this. But yeah, yeah. that keeps coming up as like, oh, yeah, we could loop back around to the 1950s version of the brand. Yeah, but I love the idea, too, that it's no, it's just our articles printed out and bound. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we've got so much material. But it doesn't there. exist in print anywhere once. Once the internet's gone, we don't have access to that anymore. It's all gone forever. Oh, no. Right? Nobody's sitting at a printer printing these out, right? Unless someone is. I think I am after this. Uh, yeah, it's important. You've got your, your day, your, your weekend carved out. <laughs> That's frightening. I didn't even yeah. think about that. <laughs> That keeps coming up. We all have our phone numbers and our contact list on our soon-to-be bricked smartphones. So. Oh, that's true. I should go back to my desk and write down every number. Yeah, yeah. We are joined in the studio by Brett Raider, I believe it's pronounced. Yes. Ah, that's yes. That's correct. As we've said, we're talking about, oh, the internet goes away and uh, computers are limited or gone, either through time travel or disaster or, I don't know, group decision. Uh, how do you how do you think your life would uh, change and shift around without its its help? Nothing would be different because I have an excellent sense of direction and I don't need Google Maps for anything because I am very talented at directions. I mean, I'm sure you are. I think I am too. Like, I think I I didn't I resisted using turn by turn GPS until a year or two ago. Like before we had that, I was printing maps and stuff. But I was also just trying. You were printing to maps. Out. You were going to MapQuest.com and printing. Yeah, pre-smartphone. Oh yeah, my gosh, for oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I had a brief love affair with uh, Waze earlier this year. I moved and I was trying to find the best way to get from my new abode to the office and I, yeah. I flirted with ways I didn't really like it very much. I felt like it didn't really change much of oh, anything, yeah. but that's, that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> I did have a thought seriously about, and I don't know what the other people who've been on this episode have talked about, but I did have a thought about all these people who live in Silicon Valley or the Seattle area who work in the tech industry, what they would be doing today if there was no internet because for the most part and i know some people who live up there they're all very obsessed with like disrupting industries with a smartphone app or something it's like it's a toaster but like someone comes to your house and you borrow their toaster and you rent the toaster and we're disrupting the toaster industry or we're disrupting buses or we're disrupting television or whatever Man, that toaster thing felt so real when you said it <laughs> yeah it's mm -hmm. called toaster but there's no e it's just t-o-a that's what it would be called yeah <laughs> so i'm thinking what do these people do when they're not making like flappy bird apps or whatever <laughs> stupid thing is on the app store 
I was thinking back to like the 60s and 70s and even the 80s. And I know that there was certainly a tech industry then, especially in the, the 70s and 80s with like Silicon Prairie and, and the, the sort of boom of the like electronic engineering industry with like Texas Instruments and like building the first like microprocessors and stuff in the, the 70s yeah. and 80s in Texas and stuff. Texas was, Instruments, yeah. Silicon Prairie was a Texas phenomenon? Specifically? Yeah, that's like what yeah. we they called – there's like a tech boom in the like 70s, 80s in Texas called Silicon Prairie. Oh, okay. Because they're out on the prairie with their hats. That name, that name made stuff. me think of those gateway computers that came in the cow spotted boxes. Oh my gosh, that yeah. makes a mil- that makes sense. <laughs> Remember those? Those are great. <laughs> you could build a computer on the internet and they'd send it to you in a box that looks like a cow. It was so great. <laughs> You're getting a Dell, dude. <laughs> Anyways, to to complete my point, what were all these smart ass people working on if they weren't making yeah. apps to borrow someone else's car for 25 minutes? <laughs> and I'm thinking they were in NASA. I'm thinking they were oh. building cool things. And now the government has no use for outer space at all, even though I think that's where we should be going. Yeah. I, I know that vibe is out there. Yeah. That vibe is out there. Even with Obama, that vibe of like, we have enough problems. Like, why do we need to be building rocket ships? Which I disagree with. And I'm not even sure how our current president who shall not be named mm. thinks of space because i wouldn't be surprised if he was like of course we're not going to spend money on space like we're not going to spend money on sesame street anymore but also i wouldn't be surprised if he was like we're building a rocket ship to space only my family is invited on <laughs> right. and everybody's like yes go for it <laughs> um can you even get to space without the internet now well they got to space without the internet. I mean, I'm sure there was some sort of, I'm not sure the exact um, term. Or not. I mean, I'm sure the internet like or connected computers have existed in some form since yeah. the middle of the 20th century. I didn't yeah, they do de- that very They definitely much got to the moon without it. I think even the super primitive internet history kind of things like ARPANET, they, they were long after the Apollo missions. Like The trope is, oh, the Apollo thing had as much computing power as a graphing calculator. Yeah. But I think also it wasn't networked with anything in the way we think of it. No, I, I don't think so. Other than like radio communication for, yeah. for voice, I don't think there was any sort right. of connected computer stuff. I guess I wonder yeah. like where that knowledge is, like if the knowledge is accessible without the internet of how to get back to space or how to get to space. I'm curious if scientists or NASA can do it. Like you take away NASA's computer or NASA's internet, NASA's computers, not necessarily computers, but internet. Can they do it? Can modern scientists do the math and do the, do the work without the internet? Do they know how? Yeah. I mean, I would assume so. I assume they figured out how. I assume if you gave someone in the 19th century the materials that we had in the 20th century, they could figure out how to do it. They just didn't. I mean, a bicycle was like a pretty fancy ass mode of transportation <laughs> in 1850. But we have, we've had mathematicians and, and physicists for a long time. I'm sure they could have figured it yeah. out. It was just I'm, – I'm sure in the 19th century it was just kind of a uh, an issue of – like having the means to like make lightweight metals and and make rocket 
boosting fuel. Yeah, and rations to kick the asses up. Oh, yeah. Like, even now, um, with kids, they're allowed to use their calculators in certain scenarios and because that capability is there, so you don't have to longhand write out formulas necessarily for stuff. So I wonder if today's scientists who grew up in the 90s, maybe, or grew up, or the young ones who grew up in the 2000s would be able to do calculations without the technology that they were raised to use. That's just me curious. I'm curious, but uh, I want to go back to Brett's thing. <laughs> no, well, I, well, I'm curious about that too because we've all had the math class, and I think this is a universal thing since, like, basic calculators invented. We're like, well, you can't use a calculator on this because we need to see if you can, like, do this longhand and the, right. the teacher was always like you never know you might be in space and your calculator might be broken <laughs> and you know what no the astronauts are allowed a graphing calculator okay okay all right as long as they've got their graphing calculator then we'll probably be fine so do you think yeah. all of the tech industry people that are making apps right now would be working for nasa like doing cool important stuff um i don't know i mean yeah. it, it might be a silly thought to think that like all these people making apps and whatever sort of listening devices Amazon is like connected to our to our brains. It would yeah. it seems like a nice idea that they would be working for like maybe more public works or something for the public good rather than like a clone of Grand Theft Auto <laughs> Three that's called like Fighty Car Man <laughs> for the App Star. <laughs> If someone named a game Fighty Car Man, I would buy it. I would be on board. Fighty Car Man, now available in the Steam store. Please donate to my Kickstarter. Just from like a resource perspective, that is a really interesting question. I think like I, before we taped this, I was researching and trying to figure out like just how many people work in tech, how much energy and, and creativity is going into it. And it's hard to measure exactly, but TechCrunch maintains a database of unicorns in the world of uh, tech and unicorn, not the mythological animal. It's a term for a startup that's valued at at least a billion dollars of worth before it goes public and becomes a publicly traded company. And Expletive, a, wow. I don't think it's just the US, I think it's globally, but they say there are currently 262 unicorns with a total value of $882 billion. And that's a lot of work and effort being put into something. I don't know if it would translate as lucratively without the internet, but what if what would all those people go and do for us if they can't build, uh, like we said, toaster? Toaster. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Someone comes and toasts your bread for you. Yeah, which I think we're in the process of building on this episode. Martin has a 4.7 rating at toasting your breakfast. <laughs> Brett has very cleverly avoided the actual question, though, which is what would you do? <laughs> If the internet is gone. What would I do? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, if I had the same job, I would work at a radio station, I guess, and I would cut <laughs> I would cut podcast with film and scotch tape. I don't – I'm not sure. <laughs> well, That's you reasonable. Are, we talked to Abe earlier, and you are in a bit the same boat as him where, like, those trades existed before the internet, and so right. that's a thing you can keep doing. You know, it's just more analog and more – running around with physical copies of uh, media stories. I would be on the corner with a sandwich board saying, podcasts, get your podcast here. And I'd be handing them out on a cassette or a compact disc. Side note, I recently bought tickets to a concert. 
and afterwards, <laughs> Ticketmaster was like, hey, thanks for buying, thanks for spending $100 on this show. You're going to get a free compact disc of this band's next what? album. Uh. What's your address? Let's send it to you. Ew. How many do you want? And I just emailed the party. I was like, who wants a CD of this album? And everyone's like, maybe we'll take one to use as a coaster. It's dumb. <laughs> well, there's going to be a premium on all these CDs once the internet's gone. So that's. I still have a CD binder that I used back in the day of all the CDs I owned. If we're in a world that had the internet and lost it rather than a time travel situation, retail is going to get real weird. It's going to be very scavenging driven. I'm very curious what that's going to be. Yeah, well, the whole shopping thing was totally weird before the internet. I mean, right now, first of all, if I can't find something on Amazon Prime and have it delivered to me within the next 48 (laughs) hours, or if it's available (laughs) on Amazon, but it's not Prime and it's like it can get here next Wednesday and you have to pay a dollar for it, I'm like... Do I really want this thing? (laughs) Not worth it. (laughs) Buying stuff was crazy before you had to go somewhere and talk to people. And it felt like nothing. The human human brain and the human body is very adaptive. We just figured it out. We would just go to stores and buy furniture. But buying stuff before the internet was weird. And then even in in sort of internet 1.0, we had Amazon. But Amazon just sold books. Amazon didn't sell Mm -hmm. a (laughs) five-pack of ketchup and this like – solid state hard drive and a couch <laughs> and you can get it all shipped to you in 48 hours they had Moby Dick <laughs> and like a different edition of Moby Dick and you liked it my mom is a big reader and was like a very very early Amazon adopter when it mm-hmm. was just at the book stage and she would be telling me and the rest of my family like this site's going places this is a really great service and we'd be like whatever mom mm-hmm. and now it's the company that I was listening to a, a Silicon Valley techie kind of podcast mm-hmm. where they were talking about whether Amazon will swallow up like commerce just period if <laughs> whether that will be the only company it. in the world after a while yeah because they just want to have a hand in every transaction you do i mean and now they've gotten into the handyman business as well where oh, i no. bought a mount for my flat screen television to put on my wall and they're like yo for 80 dollars do you want someone to come to your house and put it install it Yes, I do. And I go, yeah. Absolutely. What a great idea. I know what it's like when I do things. I'm like wearing <laughs> basketball shorts and a t-shirt. I'm sweating. I have right. like a hammer and a drill and I'm cursing and my girlfriend's like, do you need help? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Leave me alone. I can figure it out. See, this is why I'm not mad at those. I'm not mad at those tech industry people coming up with these apps for that reason. They, they make my life better. Oh, totally. Like all those apps. I feel like most of them, not most of them, none of them, five of them make my life better. So I'm not mad at, I'd rather, I'd rather have these apps than get to space at this point. I don't even care. You know, like that we aren't in space anymore. Oh, you're (laughs) anti-space. I'm not anti-space. I'm like, yeah, space. You heard it here first, Let's get some healthcare going. Christy Harrison hates outer space. Yeah, there are aliens listening to this like, what? Yeah. There is a convenience that we have grown very, very used to. And throughout talking to people, we've been kind of batting back and forth how 
adaptable we'd be to losing the internet as people, how easily younger people could handle it, older people could handle it. Maybe the hardest thing to lose would be the feeling of everything being very convenient. Like you were talking about uh, if something's hard to order on Amazon, it's like, do I even want it? I think I'm starting to reach that point with shows being on Netflix or not. Like if it's not on Netflix, maybe I never wanted to watch mm-hmm. that piece of art in the first yeah. place. Yeah, you know, <laughs> which is a weird perspective to have on the entire world of art. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, if it's not on Netflix or Hulu, I'm like, well, I guess it doesn't exist. Yeah. There's no other way to find it. I'll wait a week. Well, if I rent it, I know it's going to be out streaming for free next week, so I've got to wait. I'm just going to give it one more week, see if it's streaming in a week, and then I'll watch it. Can I bring up one last thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dating. Ew. Ew. (laughs) Gross. Now, as an adult, I've never really lived in a world without dating apps. And a common chorus about them is like, you don't know who you're meeting. They could be a killer. You don't think whatever. (laughs) And I don't see how that changes much because before – The way you'd meet people is like at a bar or someone would like approach another person on a public transportation or friends. You'd be like, oh, I'd meet this person at at a party or a friend would Mm -hmm. set up another friend on a blind date. You don't know that person's not a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) If one of my friends is a murderer and I set them up on a date and I don't know they're a murderer. Like I just don't see how that's significantly different than online. Like anyone can be a murderer. No one That's you know. That's what I want to leave everyone with. <laughs> no everyone you, is a murderer. No one you know is like, hey, since we're offline, let me just inform you that I'm a murderer. But anyway, uh, no, let's move on. <laughs> it's it's a, a secret either way. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, Alex, can you introduce me to your friend Veronica? She's looking quite stabbing tonight. I mean, <laughs> right, right, I right. <laughs> You do a pretty good murderer. It's great. Yeah, because murderers <laughs> always like accidentally say that they're about to kill someone. Right. <laughs> and then cover it up. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, not kill someone. <laughs> color tug, color tug, color tug. I don't even know how the kids date now, like outside of the apps. Uh, I was hanging out with a friend and he said he yeah. got someone's phone number at a party. And I was like, what? Like, that's crazy. That must that must happen one in 25 interactions. One in 25 dates is initiated offline. That's interesting because I think, I, I think I've lived in both extremes of that being easy or hard. And I feel like the entire rest of the country is somewhere in the middle. But like New York is probably the easiest place to meet someone in real life. Like I got someone's number on the subway once and I felt like an incredible human being. I was like, I am the greatest socializer wow. who has ever lived. Oh my gosh. And then LA, masculinity. LA, total opposite. I want to hear that story. <laughs> Just do a show about that. Uh, then LA, total opposite where we're mostly in cars alone a lot of the time. Yeah. And, and it's uh, very difficult to run across someone just uh, moving around the world. Now they made a documentary about this. And it's yeah. called Crash. And sometimes people in Los Angeles Interesting. have to crash into each other just <laughs> so they can feel. The the one where it's like an erotic Cronenberg movie or the... No, Best Picture Award winner <laughs> okay. Crash starring Brendan Fraser. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how people meet other people in general because I got married in 97 and <laughs> I have no idea how dating has worked for the last 20 years at all. I assume everybody just uses apps, but... Other than that, I, I'm clueless. I 
met my girlfriend through the internet through these dating apps and like yeah, same. Uh, you know it's weird to think like oh without that technology maybe we don't run across each other you know like maybe there's not the shot totally yeah yeah and, and i mean we need to keep meeting people yeah that seems key yeah but also we don't <laughs> <laughs> but like like in a romantic sort of sense like you know sometimes <laughs> we just need the eggs we need yeah, we need people but not really Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to our legion of guests, Brett Rader, Sandra Sorensen, Ann Smiley, Tom Ryman, Abe Epperson, and most of all, Christy Harrison for bringing us all on this wild ride. I feel like I know them all better as humans now, and maybe you do too. And let's dive past humanity into a very special section called Footnotes. You'll find all the statistical parts of this week's episode in there. Uh, I know we pulled a few figures as we got into, you know, kind of our lives and the ways we'd be. Uh, We're most in debt to the folks at Pew Research this week, I'd say. There's a couple of links from them in there. Also, I threw a couple footnotes in here that we didn't directly touch on in the episode, but I just feel they're relevant. You're a footnotes listener. You get a little extra content out of that. So how about that? And one of them is an Amazon link to On the Shortness of Life. It's a set of writings by the Stoic philosopher Seneca. And in one section of that, he talks about how time has three periods, past, present, and future. And here's my favorite line of it. Quote, of these, the present is short, the future is doubtful, the past is certain. And then the other extra special Schmidt's Brain footnote is a story from a couple days ago. This is a story you might have seen. We weren't thinking about it at all as we were prepping the episode. But a couple days ago, there was reported that Chinese scientists teleported an object to outer space. And I know, I just said people teleported stuff to space. That happened last week. Uh, We're linking to an MIT Technology Review article for all the details about that. For one thing, they only teleported one photon, uh, the scientists. So they didn't, they didn't send Dr. McCoy. Uh, they sent a photon. And also how they did it involves a lot of quantum mechanics. MIT is more capable of explaining that than I am. And I'm going to let them because I have read the article and that's what I know. I'll just say that going into this thought experiment over this past week, Based on stories like this, I think the world got even weirder than it had been before. And whether the internet disappears or we start teleporting or the government's on fire, I think it's always nice to try to remain very present and in the moment that Seneca line and that Seneca text are, it's one of many things that I think kind of helped me do that. And maybe it helps you too. So that's out there and going on. There's also a bonus footnote for manspreading as a phenomenon on the New York City subway and how they are actively advertising against it. Brett Rader pointed out that that's a thing he saw in New York going on, and you should check it out, too. Good job, the city. On to some ways to see the Live Wire live show version of me. I'm electric. It's great. You can catch our next live episode of the Crack Podcast on August 12th at UCB Sunset in Los Angeles. Our topic is what is the best video game universe to live in? We're doing a gaming episode. We get a lot of requests for that kind of thing, and it would be a lot of fun. Let's do that. Me and the one and only Michael Swaim are putting together an all-star panel to figure out which game we should all go live in. And as I said in the middle of the show, September brings our live show to New York City. We are performing with two dozen of our favorite other podcasts at the Now Hear This Festival, September 8th through 10th. 
you can see all of that stuff with a single festival pass. It's like if Coachella happened in Manhattan and it was indoors and it was good podcasts. And I know that's a lot of modifiers on Coachella, but frankly, it needs it. I have a lot of thoughts. You can get that pass at nowhearthisfest.com, and our special secret promo code CRACKED gets you 20 bucks off. That's CRACKED. Head to nowhearthisfest.com. Promo code CRACKED gets you a deal on a pass to see us and so many other shows. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media, the internet service I turn to for your feedback, also for baseball trade rumors, and for evidence of high-level government crimes. Find me on Twitter under the name at Alex Schmitty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And I want to do a super social plug for our super guests. Brett Rader is at Brett, R-A-D-E-R, on Twitter. Sandra Sorensen is at Ladyfriend on Twitter. I'm not kidding. She locked down at Ladyfriend on Twitter. She is the person on the planet who got it because she's next level about this stuff. You should check her out. Also, Ann Smiley is at Ann Smiley. Tom Ryman is at Start the Machine. Abe Epperson is at Abe the Mighty. And Christy Harrison is at Here in ID. That's her Twitter account, at Here in ID. That means Here in Idaho, because, guys, she's in Idaho, and thanks to the magic of the Internet, we could do this episode together. So thank you, the Internet, and thank you, you folks, for listening. We'll be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. How about that? Talk to you then. If you're a fan of comedy, you're probably a fan of comedian Doug Benson. He loves movies so much he made a podcast about it, and you can now hear all eight seasons of Doug Loves Movies on Stitcher Premium, plus hear bonus episodes and the Benson Interruption completely ad-free. That's over a thousand hours of Doug Benson podcasts for just $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. You will have maximum Benson, and you're going to love it. Start listening now with a one-month free trial of Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash Doug and use promo code CRACKED at checkout to get your free month. It's sort of a tag team thing. That's stitcherpremium.com slash Doug, D-O-U-G, and use promo code CRACKED. Humans, this is Matt Besser from Improv for Humans. It's an improvised podcast where we do a special thing every once in a while we call the narrative experiment where we actually choose characters for our improvisers. They keep the character throughout the episode and we, we basically do a sitcom. Check it out. It's called Mopes. It stars John Gabers, Jess McKinnon, Eugene Cordero, three of my favorite improvisers. Check it out, Humans. Mopes on Improv for Humans. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.